All right, our sermon text tonight is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The prophet says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to establish it, and to uphold it, with justice, and with righteousness, from this time forth, and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our New Testament reading is from Revelation 21, and it's verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, in... This moment, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we pray that you would shine light and illuminate these words that are in your word. Lord, would you shine light on the words that I've prepared? God, and would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and our lives? Lord, would you, in your kindness and mercy, aim them directly at places in our hearts where light needs to be shown? Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had um, a particular experience. Um, I wonder if you've ever been, let's say, for example, at a dinner with friends. And at some point in the dinner or in this time you're spending with friends of yours, I've wonder, ever wondered if at some point in the midst of that moment, you busted out into laughter. And I'm talking like the, the really big laughter. Like the tears begin to come from your eyes because you're laughing so hard. Laughter. I'm talking about the kind of laughter that makes your stomach hurt because it's like this gut-busting laughter. It's the kind of laughter that, personally, and this might have something to do with the fact that I grew up with asthma, <laughs> but the kind of laughter that makes you wheeze. I hope you've had that experience because that moment of things being what they're supposed to be. Things being connected, rightly related, ordered properly. And the ease and the joy that you feel in that moment is one of the most profound experiences a human person can have. If you've ever had a moment like that, where you've laughed like that, you'll notice that the next sound that will come from your mouth after laughing like that is a sound that goes like this. 
It's actually a sigh of grief, isn't it? Because that moment where things fit and were right has now left. And our hearts actually long for that moment for things to be what they're supposed to be, to not leave, but to remain. And the Bible has a word for that state of our hearts and in our, of our souls when things are what they're supposed to be. The Bible has a word for that. And the Bible's word for that is peace. And Jesus Christ is the prince of it. And that's what this sermon tonight is about. And I want you to imagine a kind of peace that not only remains, but not only does it remain and stay, but it only grows deeper and richer and fuller forever. And not only does it grow deeper and richer, fuller forever, it grows so deep and so full and so rich that it begins to work its way backwards to heal redeem and to restore. So according to this passage, our King Jesus has come to bring that kind of peace. There's a main thing I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else I say, the main thing I want you to hear is that Jesus has come to make all things right and all things new. Now, if I tell you Jesus has come to bring peace and to make all things right and all things new, then, then for that message, for that truth to land in your heart, you have to start in this moment thinking. And you have to start thinking about those things in your life that are not what they should be. Those things that are going on in your life that you wish was very, very different. Because I think it's to those things that these truths speak. So now that you have that in your mind and in your heart and in your soul, let's take a look at this particular passage. Again, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given... And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and then for tonight, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Let's talk about these names. The first one, Everlasting Father. Now this son who was born, this child who's been, who would come, this Jesus will be called an everlasting father. And, and let's talk about what that means and maybe it's best to sometimes think about what it doesn't mean. The prophet Isaiah is not telling us that this child, this Messiah, this king, this Jesus who would come would have biological children. Okay, Jesus was unmarried. He did not have children. Um, this text in particular, when Isaiah is, is prophesying of a child that will be born, a son will be given, and will be an everlasting father. He's not saying, 
that there's no difference between the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. That those are the same because we're Christians and we know that our God has been revealed to us as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And this prophecy is not intended to collapse those two in a way that would lead us astray. This title, Everlasting Father, is, is something of a figure of speech. See, kings in the ancient world um, took up the mantle of leading the people, and they would sometimes be referred to as the father of a particular people or a nation. In the same way, my, my kids the other day told me George Washington was the father of America. Okay, um, they did not mean he has, George Washington personally, like, you know, is the biological father of every American person. But, but father in the sense of, of the leader of a people. See, the ideal king in the ancient world would have ruled as a kind and gracious and wise father, protecting, providing. And we're told that Jesus will come as a king who will be that kind of kind and gracious ruler for his people. He'll protect, he'll provide, and we're told he will do that in an everlasting way. That this rule of his, this kind and gracious rule would never come to an end. Now this is hard for us to imagine because... Um, we're, we're, we're used to the idea that, that we want rulers to get out of power quick. We elect these people, and suddenly we just can't wait for their reign to be over, right? Is that, is that, just, is that just me? We're not used to the idea that there could be a kind and gracious king We're not used to the idea that his reign could last forever. That is the kind of king that Jesus has come to be. The kind and gracious one, providing and protecting. And of course, within the fuller revelation of the scriptures, this Jesus gives us access to a perfectly he perfect heavenly father who we can know. So an everlasting father, a kind and gracious king whose rule never ends. We're also told that he comes, verse six, everlasting father and prince of peace. Now peace, this word peace is a loaded idea in the Bible. When we use the word peace, we tend to mean absence of conflict and fighting. So, for example, in my work as a pastor, um, I often am in situations where I'm helping either people prepare for marriage, um, I'm helping them navigate issues within their marriage, and sometimes I'll ask about their relationship, and one thing they'll say is, well, we're not fighting. But see, by saying we're not fighting, you've told me nothing really about peace in the biblical sense. See, peace in the biblical sense is not just that we're not fighting. Peace in the biblical sense is this richer and fuller idea. It's, it's this idea, as I mentioned earlier, of, of things being right. Things being the way they're supposed to be. 
things being properly in their place, things being rightly ordered and connected to other things. Think things like harmony, delight, fullness, wholeness. Again, things as they should be-ness. See, the, the, the biblical word for this is the Hebrew word shalom. And the greatest illustration of this idea, of course, is in the garden. In the garden, man and woman are rightly related to each other. Man and woman are rightly related to God. They're enjoying fellowship and communion with him. They're rightly related to the world around them. They're doing good and fruitful work. It's a picture of peace, of things being the way that they should be in every single arena in your life. You are looking for that. That's what you're after. In your parenting, you're after that kind of peace. In your relationships, you're after that kind of peace. In your work, you're after that kind of peace. In our world, as you, as you see what happens in the news, you're, you're, you're aching for that kind of peace. And see, this Jesus of ours comes to be the prince of that kind of peace. See, kings in the ancient world, just like in the modern world, promise programs and plans and initiatives and actions and legislation and, and all these kinds of things that, that in some ways promises some kind of peace. But the truth is they're all incapable of providing it. But what we're being told here is that Jesus has the power to enact that kind of things as they should be. He has the power to do that. He can pull it off. And look at how the text goes from here. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. In other words, his rule only grows richer and deeper and fuller. It only heals and restores and redeems more and more and more and more. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth when he arrives and also forevermore. Just a few comments about these last lines. Justice and righteousness. Again, loaded ideas in the scriptures. You guys have heard me say this so many times before, but each time the words come up, I want to make sure I define them for you. See, see righteousness in the Old Testament sense has to do with a straight plumb line. It has to do with things being right, straight, ordered correctly. And the Bible talks about the fact that God's holy character is righteous. It's rightly ordered. It's, it's straight. It's correct. But our world and our relationships and our own hearts are, are bent and they're kind of crooked, right? This is a crooked hand right here. Like, like that. 
So righteousness. And see, justice is the actions necessary to bring what's crooked into alignment with what's straight. And we're told this King Jesus, both at his arrival and forevermore, will be ruling with righteousness. He'll be acting with justice. In other words, we're told that this peace that he promises only grows deeper and richer and fuller. So much so that when he brings it in its fullness, it works backwards to begin to heal, to redeem and restore all that's been twisted and contorted. And we're told, finally, verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, in the Bible, when the Lord decides to do something, it is already actual. It's already done. But this phrase that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it is a strong way of saying that the Lord has decided to rule in this manner, to bring this kind of peace. We might say the words like this. He's, he's totally focused. He's got all his passion and all his energy set on bringing this kind of peace. These are big promises. And don't they speak to some of the deepest places in your heart? I want to end tonight by talking about Jesus and then talking about you in particular. So first of all, when Jesus comes, of course, when he comes as a baby in Bethlehem, when he begins to grow up and he begins to initiate his public ministry, we we suddenly see him doing all this shalom-making, all this peacemaking, all this justice-doing, all this rightly ordering of things, don't we? Isn't that the main thing he walks around doing? So, for example, he starts noticing things that are not the way they're supposed to be, and he starts acting to make them the way that they're supposed to be. That is Prince of Peace stuff. So, for example, and I picked just kind of a, a random sample. For example, he sees a leper, and lepers should be clean and connected to community. And with a touch... He makes peace. The blind. The blind should be seeing. And Jesus, with a word or with a touch, gives sight to the blind. See, that's peace. That's Prince of Peace stuff. Those who are lost ought to be found. Those who are lonely should know family. Those who are hungry should have food. Those who are bleeding should be clotted and connected and restored. Those who are oppressed by the power of the devil should be healed and made whole. 
those who are very great sinners should know the forgiveness and mercy of God. And of course, Jesus does all these things on his way to sort of the greatest peacemaking thing that he ever does when he goes to the cross. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us at least two things happen. Number one, that he makes peace by destroying the work of the devil, by destroying the power of darkness. Secondly, he makes peace by bringing sinners who are far near and giving to them by faith in him, peace in his name. And the Bible teaches us that at his second advent, his second coming, that he will finish this peacemaking work fully and finally. And again, it will only grow richer and deeper and fuller all the time. Two things I want to say to just speak to your heart and to talk to you in particular. First of all, there's a degree to which this full peacemaking work of Jesus, there's a degree to which we wait for the day in which he does that. There are still plenty of things in our life that are not the way that they're supposed to be. In the Christian life, as you've heard me say so many times, will naturally and necessarily be a waiting life because we are awaiting the restoration of all things. We live between two advents and we await the fullness and the finality of these things. So there are things for which you will need to wait. And waiting is very, very hard. I was talking to my daughter once about these things. And I said, baby, she's five. Well, when, when Jesus returns, that won't be that way. And she said to me, Daddy, Jesus is taking a long time. And of course, the answer to her in that moment is, baby, I know. Waiting's hard. But while we wait, see, the promise is that we can have a peace, a peace that would even surpass all understanding. See, Jesus said, my peace I give you. And by the way, this is not like the peace the world gives you. See, the kind of peace you and I try to find is a peace that's based on what we can achieve. It's a peace that's kind of based on what we think we can earn in the bank to feel secure and safe and at peace. We think we can purchase some things or get more efficient or like hack our life in such a way that we might find some semblance of things being like they're supposed to be. We can muster up within ourselves the ability to make things like they're supposed to be. And that will always fail us. 
and leave us deeply disappointed. See, but while we wait, Jesus promises his peace, a peace that can surpass understanding even while we wait. And I can personally attest to you that that is real and that that peace will be there for you when you need it. And then second, to speak to your heart. If Jesus is this everlasting father, this king, if he is this prince of peace, then we will find peace as we yield to him. See, some things are not the way they're supposed to be, and that's our own fault. And, and you will not find it within you t- to heal that pain. You will not have the strength to bear that shame. You will not have the ability to clean yourself enough from that stain. But what there is, is an invitation to turn to Christ, to yield to him. to find it because it's what he offers. Let's pray together.